so much, so we're really grateful for them. And to be able to have kids groups once again and serve all aspects of our family. Um, I don't know about you, but when we were worshiping, I was just... It's just so good to hear voices raised in one, um, saying how great is our God, and really just um, uh, reminded me that no matter what form church takes, whether we are in a room together or we're separated in our homes, I'm just really grateful to be a part of Wellspring Church, um, and it's, yeah, just such a blessing, so um, just wanted to, to say I hope you all have been blessed this morning, I hope you've been blessed joining us at home, and we've got more to come, so let's stay here and receive together um, as one, because that is so powerful. Uh, so we had a series started last week with David, if you were with us, called Living for Jesus, um, you know, just a small order to start with. And David explained to us uh, that when we talk about living for Jesus, we don't want to just hear what Jesus teaches, understand the Bible, but to actually put it into practice. And the difficulty that can be, but actually the, the reward and promise and fulfillment that can bring as well. And we're going to start off um, really easy this week, and we're going to talk about purity, <laughs> which I know. <laughs> Obviously, I was the chosen one to give this message for a reason. Um, uh, so we're going to talk about that, but I don't want you to plug out too soon. I know that word can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, but what we're coming to today is we're looking at a verse in Matthew 5, chapters 5 to chapter 7, and we're journeying through those chapters over the last, next few weeks because we want to take Jesus' instruction. He has a lot of teachings, a lot of lessons in there, and we want to say, how do we live for Jesus by living this out? And we're pulling our verse today from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, which if you don't know the Bible by heart, that is the section you might still know, because every sentence starts with, blessed are. And it's blessed are, blessed are, and it's promises, it's guidance, it's instruction, and today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Mm. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. <clears throat> I want us to hear not a time to drag up all of our muck and compare and contrast our purity against one another. That's not what the Lord's inviting us to this morning. This morning, God is inviting us, you and I, to hear this as an invitation. Come and see God. Because this verse tells us, blessed are the pure heart, for they will see God. Anybody want to see more of God? Yeah. yeah, a few of us? Come on. We want to see more of God. And that's what this verse invites us into. And if you're thinking, honestly, I'm not that fussed about seeing God. I just want to be a good person and crack on with it. Maybe you've wandered in this morning or you've clicked on the link by accident or you've been dragged here. Can I encourage you that if we strive to be good people, we are living a fraction of the life available to us. Because by being good people, we're simply trying to, in our own strength and our own ability, what we can mentally, emotionally, and physically handle, do a few good things before our time here on this earth is up. But if we live as God's people rather than good people, we become connected to something so much bigger than us. Our story and the things that we do don't finish when we do, but stretch out into eternity because we are living for something bigger than us, for God. And what we're able to do, the freedom we can know, the hope we can receive, and the power through which we can live our lives is limitless. 
So even if you're happy just being a good person, can I tell you, there is more. Do not settle. You can see God. And not to make anyone in this room happy, not to make anyone you know happy, but because it will take you from being just a good person to having the fullness of life as God's person. So if we want to see more of God, how do we do that? This verse tells us we become pure at heart. I want to expand that phrase a little bit, pure at heart, because often we hear the word pure or purity and we associate it just with sexual purity, with our sexual relationships in history. But actually what is being talked about here is so much broader. It's holiness. So let's put those boundaries away and look at pure at heart. Purity and holiness is something that can affect every area of our lives. And what this verse is saying about being pure at heart, it's not just talking about what we do, though that matters, but the word used for heart here, both in the Aramaic that Jesus would have originally spoken it in and in the Greek this was written in, mean the same thing. When it says heart, it means the center, the seat of all that you are. So what this verse is telling us is blessed are the pure or holy at the center of all that they are for they will see God. And for me, that really helps to see this in a physical form. So as many of you in the room might have been curious about, we're going to move over here because there's something about idea of having the seat in a physical, tangible form. So this verse is telling us, blessed are the pure at heart, at the seat of all they are. And what it's trying to convey here is that though we can behave and grow as people, though we have thoughts that might change or desires that might change, they all stem from somewhere. So from the seat of all that we are comes our thoughts. From the seat of all that we are comes our desires, comes our character, and our actions which means that if we are holy at the seat of all that we are, from this place, holiness must stem to reach here. From the seat of all that we are, holiness comes and it affects our thoughts. It affects our desires, our character, and our action. Now, a lot of time we like to stay on the surface and stay up here. These points are movable. We can do it on our own. We can discipline our thoughts. We can work hard to become kinder, better people. And our character and our actions and desires can change. But if we stay on the surface, we will not see God. Not because he doesn't care about these things, because he does. He wants you to be the best version of yourself. He wants you to know what it's like to desire him and his kingdom, to live a holy life. But he doesn't start here. He starts here. He starts at the seat of all that we are because God is not interested in people who fall in line and follow his rules. He's interested in a people who have fallen in love with him and into relationship with him. So if we want to see God, we have to get into the middle of the mess because this is easy, but this is messy. If you tried to shift your seat right now, it'd be a little disturbing. You could mess up with the people around you. There's a lot to shift. It's not as easy as moving these points for us. But God is inviting us to come and see him and saying, you need to start here. And Jesus elaborates on this further in Matthew 5. There's two great examples that helps us unpack this image, that helps us understand what that means for us on the day to day. And the first comes in Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22. 
as he continues teaching after the Beatitudes, he says this in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. And then a few verses later, as he continues to speak, he gives another example in verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, I've successfully lived the majority of my life without murdering anyone. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> uh, that could have gone the other way. Eh? Um, but I cannot say that I have not been angry, that I haven't muttered under my breath or tutted, or actually been so angry that if the person was in front of me, I would have lashed out. And I think I'm not the only one. What Jesus is explaining here is that we can be holy on the surface, but it only matters so much. So if we say, I'm following God's commands and I'm being holy because I'm not murdering anyone. I haven't committed an affair. I haven't assaulted anyone. But I'm still angry. But I'm still imagining people in situations that is not honoring, that doesn't go beyond their consents. Our holiness only reaches so far. It can't reach to the center, the heart. And again, that's where God wants us to dwell. That's where he wants us to start. It's the same thing for our character. So we can say, you know, I'm going to try really hard to be a more generous person. I want to consistently tithe. I want to help people who need it. And so you do. You do those things. You put it into practice. But then a colleague comes up to you and asks you to help a project that they should have started a month ago and you don't have time for. And so you snap. Generosity only goes so far. With our desires, maybe you see these things happening that have been happening in the world, these cries for movement and social justice, Black Lives Matter, and the cry to change the institutions that are inherently racist and harmful in our culture. And so you read books, you self-examine, maybe you go on the marches, maybe you use the hashtag, you have hard conversations with your friends, but then the news moves on. The noise quiets. Is that desire for justice still driving you to challenge places and people that God is calling to honor the least of these? Honor those that look different than you. Is your desire for diversity or inclusivity because they're very different. And with our thoughts, we can say, Lord, I trust you. We can repeat positive mantras in our mirrors every morning, and we can tell ourselves, I will not be afraid. But then the government announces another lockdown. <laughs> the bottom falls out. You think, not again. I can't do this again. Or you lose a job or a loved one, or you face getting your marks back. And it's not what you wanted, and you think, my life is over. It only reaches so far. 
And I'm not saying this to condemn us, nor am I saying this because I have it all figured out, because I definitely don't, but because I believe the Lord is telling us today that if we stay on the surface, we will not see him, because good actions only take you so far, and what he has for us is so much more. And what blows my mind is the example of the Sadducees and Pharisees. They met Jesus during his time of ministry, time and time again. They saw his miracles. They heard him preaching. Jesus was God incarnate, and they couldn't see it. He was right in front of them. God was standing right in front of them, and they missed him because they stayed up there, because they were so focused on being holy and their actions, ticking all the religious boxes. I don't want you or I, anyone, to miss God right in front of us. Let's be hungry to see him and be brave enough to go below the surface. So how do we do that? If we, if we say, okay, I'll dive in, I'll get into the mess of it, what now? One thing we need to do. We need to let Jesus make our seat his throne. Simple as that. Got one point. That's it. Let Jesus make our seat, the center of all that we are, his throne. Jesus lived a perfectly holy and pure life, and he died in that way so that we could be covered by grace, so that when we say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you, I want to know God, I want to accept that sacrifice, he can enter into our lives and be at the center of it all. Now, it's really easy for us to push Jesus to the edge a bit. You can come to church every Sunday, and in the Sunday, as you got your bum in that seat, Jesus has his bum in this seat. He's the center. But then on Monday, wherever you go, school, work, meeting friends and family, well, that's not spiritual. So we push Jesus to the edge a bit. We tell him to scooch over. He's no longer the center of our conversations, of our drive, of our purposes, of our actions. Because we've got work to do. Because where does Jesus fit in the mundane? Or maybe we think, you know, I've got it together. We say, okay, my thought life, I'm really good at thinking positive. I've got this. I'm good. Or maybe it's too messy. No, Jesus, you can't have that. You don't want to touch that. There's a lot going on there. And we disconnect. Do we have Jesus seated at the center? And do we have everything connected to him? Now, there are two really powerful things that inviting Jesus to make our seat his throne does for us. And the first thing is that it means holiness goes on the offensive. It goes on the offensive. There's a book written by Reverend Dr. Calvin Samuel, and he talks about holiness and how that fits into our world today. And he has this really beautiful quote. It should come up on the screen behind me. And he says... Rather than viewing holiness as a fragile flower needing to be protected in an inhospitable climate of godlessness and disbelief, we might see it as a light which always has the power to pierce the darkness. And what Calvin Samuel goes on to explain is that Jesus changed the holy game. 
Before Jesus, holiness was on the defensive. It was set aside in a temple that only priests could enter so far. It had to be kept clean and protected from the horrible world on the outside. But Jesus, God with skin on, came into the earth, and he went to the dirtiest places. He let people with leprosy and lesions and bleeding touch him. He came into contact with the impure. He sat and befriended and had meals and spent time with people that others would spit at as they crossed the street, with prostitutes and tax collectors, with homeless and beggars, with people that his own race of people didn't even want to associate with, didn't even want to speak with, the outcasts. Holiness went on the offensive with Jesus. So when we invite Jesus to make our seat his throne, the same thing happens in our lives. There is nothing that is left untouched, undeterred. So holiness comes into the seat of all that we are, through Jesus, and it rests at our heart. Now, the second great thing that happens when we let Jesus make our seat his throne is that holiness comes and stays to dwell. When we invite Jesus into our lives, we receive the Holy Spirit. God's spirit dwelling within us. And we talk about this a lot at church, but I don't want us to ever become passive or apathetic to it because actually it is such a beautiful, incredible, mind-blowing thing that God's spirit dwells within us. And what that means is that not only has holiness come to transform every area of our life through Jesus, but now the power for that transformation, the how, the capability, and the change itself comes to us through the Holy Spirit. So if we have invited Jesus to make our seat his throne, what we have done is we've invited the Holy Spirit to come in and from the seat of all that we are, transform our thoughts. From the seat of all that we are, bring holiness into our desires. Meaning that we don't have good desires because we've somehow found a way to make it work. We've got it sorted. We found the secret. And all of a sudden, we no longer have any bad or selfish desires. But what it means is that God himself has come to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit has transformed something way beyond our own ability for God's glory. The Holy Spirit comes and transforms our character better than I can. And he comes and transforms our actions. Suddenly, we're not better because we are better. We're better because we've encountered the Holy Spirit, holiness in full. Do we feel like that's an accurate representation of our seats right now? Has Jesus been invited to the center or have we cut things off, pushed him to the sides? And has the Holy Spirit been invited to transform every area, not in what we necessarily do, not in every word that we say, but from the seat and center of all that we are? 
Because how could we not see God? If Jesus is firmly planted and that is his throne, how can we not see God? If the Holy Spirit is dealing with the stuff in our hearts so that we're not, not just murdering people, but actually we find ourselves, that person who used to always get under our skin doesn't anymore. We're not only not lashing out at them, but we're not angry. In fact, we see that they're hurting. In fact, we see that God has made them a way that is different than us, and we just have to try to understand. That is the Holy Spirit coming in to transform. Will we let Jesus, right now today, take that seat and make it his throne? Will we give the Holy Spirit permission to transform every arrow we are at, not just from the surface, but from the very center of all that we are? That's a question we can answer today and in the days to come. And if you're with me and you want to say, yes, that is what I want, because that's where I'm at, like, yes, God, more of this, I think there's two things that can help us in the day-to-day and now do a bit of a heart check. Because it's always helpful to have somewhere to start. The first heart check we can do is we can pray bold prayers. If you've lived your entire life just being a good person and you have never had Jesus sit at the center of your life before, you can accept him today. You can invite him today, extend that invitation, and the transformation won't happen when you're clean and good enough. It will happen today. That's what Jesus does. And so as we respond to this later, this word from God, we are going to say a commitment prayer. And I want to encourage you, don't settle for good. Reach out for God. He is here. So if that's you or if that's you at home, pray that prayer with us together. And the other bold prayer we can pray after we make that commitment and that initial invitation is found in Psalms 139, 23 through 24. It's a very bold prayer. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting. That is not an easy prayer to pray. But if we mean it, search me. Show me if there is anything impure, offensive, unholy in me. God will do it. And you won't just be left with all this dirt and muck trudged up around you that you have to now sit in that you'll be crushed and overwhelmed by. No, because the Holy Spirit is there with you. There will be freedom. There will be healing. There will be holiness that stems from the deepest parts of you. If you have tried for so long to get out of a thought process, to change your desires, to be a different person, there is such an encouragement in life for you today. Because what this word is telling us is that if we pray prayers like that, God will not just make you perform better. He will reach into the deepest parts of you, bring his holiness, and set you free. Let's hunger for that. And the second heart check that we can do is that we can try to go from perfecting to reflecting. When we stay on the surface, we're just trying to be good. We're just trying to perfect our actions, ourselves, our characters. But we are called to reflect God's. 
to imitate him, to bear his image, and that happens at the heart. And a simple way to do that is to read to ourselves and encourage ourselves with the greatest commandment. When being asked, what is the greatest commandment, by someone trying to catch Jesus out, trying to say, well, if you had to pick one, which one's, you know, the most important, trying to catch him in a bit of a loophole. In Matthew 22, Jesus responds. says, one of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your minds. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. If we're perfecting, we're saying, how have I acted today? Am I any different than yesterday? Oh, I can toss that thought out. But if we're reflecting God, we're saying, am I loving others? Because we can say, take the box. I haven't shouted at my partner and my kids today. I've shown a lot of patience. I don't desire uh, that maybe to just sit down and veg out after work and watch Netflix for hours anymore. I've moved on. I've gotten better. But the questions we really should be asking is, yes, I'm more patient with people, but am I loving them? Because that answers the question that we talked about earlier of, well, I'm not murdering anyone, but I'm still angry. Because you can show that you love people by not murdering them or shouting at them or harming them. But do you love them? Yes, our desires have shifted, but is our ultimate desire God? Do we love God? Our thoughts are more positive, but do they sing his praises? Do they seek to know him more? It's a great thermometer, this passage. Love the Lord your God with all that you are and love others. And it helps us to go from trying to attain perfection to really say, I want to reflect your heart, God. I want the seed of all that I am to be yours. Blessed are the pure at heart, the holy at the seat of all that they are, for they will see God. And the last thing I'll say this morning is the amazing thing about that is that when we open our heart, the center of all that we are, we place Jesus on that seat, make it his throne, let the Holy Spirit permeate all areas of our lives. It's not just us that see God, but others. They're not going to just look at you and say, oh, well, you're a really nice person. You worked really hard at forgiving them, and I can see that you did that. No, what they're going to say is, you're still hurt. You never got an apology, and yet you speak forgiveness. They're not going to say, wow, you're such a good person. You always do things right. They're going to say, you, you're striving for something bigger than yourself. What are you chasing after? Others will see God too. So if you're hungry for not only yourself to see more God, but the people in your life that you cross on the street, that you interact with to see more of God, give Jesus the seat. Let the Holy Spirit transform. Seek to be pure at heart, and we will all see God. And I'm just going to pray for us as we come to a close. But I want to encourage us today, wherever we're at, whether we've accepted that invitation to come and see God, to have Jesus at the seat of all that we are, 
never before or we've already done it and it's just putting Jesus back in the center. Let's take up these bold prayers. Let's check our hearts and let's really hunger to see God at the seat of all that we are. Not to get the surface right, but to be transformed in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have not become scared of anything that is unholy or impure, but actually you sought it out and you came to transform and free and heal and love the messiest parts of us. Right now, God, we just offer ourselves to you, Lord. Speak to us. Show us where you sit. Holy Spirit, show us what reach we've given you. And if we've stayed on the surface, nudge us in deeper. We want to come and see you now, God. Help us receive that invitation and open our hearts to your holiness. We open our hearts to you now, Lord. Amen.